Hey all you cool amber and Czech style loggers, welcome to another episode of Boys Are From Martin, a women and beer podcast. On this episode, I am joined with Tinu Diver. She is the director and producer of the This Belongs To Us documentary. Before we get to that interview with Tinu, um, a beer that I had this week that I really enjoyed was was kind of just looking for something new that I hadn't tried before, and I grabbed the well-stocked IPA from Brooklyn Brewery. Um, it's a limited-style beer, um, 6.7%. Um, it was a very good IPA. Um, I think more of kind of like an American, kind of a mix between a, a hazy or a New England and an American IPA. Really refreshing, very easy to go down. If you're not a huge hophead, I highly recommend this one. Um, something in beer that I saw this week that I really enjoyed. Um, I've been kind of doing this differently for a while now, but I've been really enjoying the Brews with Broads podcast. Um, very similar to what this show does. It's a podcast with um, interviews of women who work in the craft beer. So go check out Brews with Broads on any place you get your podcast. She's had a lot of great guests, some overlapping but some different so if you're looking for another podcast um go check out brews with broads as always this podcast is sponsored by louisville ale trail louisville ale trail is a passport program for all things louisville beer but they have a lot of other things going on including their own podcast called kentucky commons radio hour so if you're looking for another beer podcast and you're in and around kentucky or just want to listen to three <laughs> Three of my friends uh, talk about beer, but also some other nonsense. Go check out Kentucky Commons Radio Hour. You can find that anywhere you find all of their podcasts. They also have a Patreon, which there's one level that you can request something, and uh, David, one of the three hosts, will do it. Um, so if you want something funny to do with your friends or to your friends, go check out their Patreon. As always, Thanks you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Tinu Diver. Um, she is the producer and director of the uh, documentary or, or would you call it a documentary? Yeah, documentary film called This Belongs to Us. Um, Jess, is it a documentary? I guess I should let you answer it. And- it is. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you got it. Yeah. I guess it would be a documentary because it's about real life. Um, I am not a film buff or by any means, so I always want to make sure when talking about this kind of things. But how are you doing this Monday afternoon? I am doing well. How are you? I am good. It is 70 degrees here mm. and sunny, so we haven't had many of these days. So I am been outside as much as I can mm-hmm. um, and enjoying this weather. Um, nice. And then... My dog's also just decided to play, so I'm muting myself a lot. My my dog is, he's napping as always, so we'll see if he... They they were napping, but it's always like, oh, mom's recording a podcast? (laughs) We're going to play really loudly behind (laughs) But yeah, so obviously I mentioned the introduction. You are the uh, producer and director of This Belongs to Us. It is a, a documentary film that explores, and I just took this from your website, how craft that began in Africa and the East became synonymous with white male blue-collar identity in the United States. So that's a lot. So my first question is, you know, where did the idea for this film come from? The idea for the film came from a few places. 
One, it came from my own kind of personal, um, I guess, history and connection to beer. And then the other part came from my own curiosity. And then I would say the third part came from the current context um, that I experience beer and beer culture in. So um, I'm the oldest daughter of Nigerian immigrant parents who came to the U.S. from Nigeria in the 70s. And I grew up with both a, a, an awareness of the significance of, as it relates to beer, my dad drank beer when I was younger. And generally at any type of like Nigerian function, the only beer, there'd be like a, you know, there'd be like a, a, a cooler for like the kids, you know, like, I don't know, like a Capri Sun or a Huggy or, you know, soda. And there'd be a cooler for the adults. And there would be usually just three things in there. Um, Guinness, Heineken or Malta. And so growing up on the one hand, I thought like there's only two beers in the world, Guinness and Heineken, because that's what um, the adults uh, in my life drank. But I also had this understanding of the history of beer being a very Afrocentric craft. So I grew up knowing about the traditions of brewing in Ethiopian cultures, in Egyptian cultures. Um, and so Fast forward as an adult, as I began to kind of take in beer culture and my surroundings and noticing how, how, how white many, particularly beer spaces, uh, particularly craft beer spaces. Um, so when you're talking about bottle shops or, you know, breweries, um, appeared that kind of, kind of got my interest. And so that was part of my curiosity. I, uh, first, so I live in Raleigh, North Carolina and, um, the film is following black women brewers in the South. And I first came to North Carolina to go to college at the university of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, stayed there for law school, started working, uh, while I was living in Durham and then moved to Boston and was there for about seven years and then moved back to North Carolina in 2015. And when I moved back in 2015, the area had changed a lot. I was now living in Raleigh, uh, and not, not in Durham or Chapel Hill. And I was noticing how significant beer, in particular craft brewing, was uh, to the growth of the area and to the state economy. And again, as I was kind of getting to know the area and get re-acclimated, um, kind of saw what appeared to be kind of a glaring demographic um, you know, difference between what I had known about the history and the traditions and the lineage of beer and how it was kind of consumed and marketed uh, kind of um, in modern times. And so um, actually I was in Durham, uh, and I guess this was in 2018, 2019, um, and in particular was observing how breweries were part of the landscape of the community where, you know, kind of depending on how you're socially located, I think you interact with places and communities very differently. And so you can be in a place, but actually be in like five different places all at once, um, depending on how your how what your relation to it is. And so um, that's where that 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 initial curiosity stemmed from. At the time, I had no idea if there were black brewers. I didn't know if there were any black brewers in North Carolina. I didn't know. I was I'm, I'm a, you know I'm definitely a, a neophyte uh, as it relates to beer. And so I decided to take a research trip in 2019 to the 2019 Fresh Fest Beer Festival in Pittsburgh, uh, which is where my sister and her family live. 
And that's when I was introduced. So uh, for those who don't know, Fresh Fest, um, which is now has been rebranded as Barrel and Flow, is um, probably the largest black beer festival in the U.S. I think it's the first, I believe. And uh, that's when I was introduced to a whole world of black beer mm-hmm. culture that I had no idea even existed. And were you going to say something? I was going to say, so was that, what year was that? That would have been, that was 2019. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry. I'm like, when was that pre-pandemic? The before time. That's how I have to think about everything. So was, was, you know, going to that festival, was that where you, you were like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to talk about how there is this lack of people who look like me in this community and you already had this love of film is did that where the idea sparked or was no actually the idea sparked back so the idea sparked in Durham for a few reasons one was when I went to so I uh, got a certificate in uh, documentary studies at Duke at the Center for Documentary Studies and I'd done an audio project about an artist who had moved into some new space in downtown Durham next to a new brewery. And when I was going to check out her space, I was kind of noticing again, like the shift, like the demographic shift of going into uh, the space of this artist whose art was really focused on black women in particular, black femmes, black bodies and this brewery that was proximate to his historically black and Brown communities um, that had a clientele that appeared, you know, to be largely white. So that kind of got, I was like, Oh, okay. Huh. So that was a head scratcher. And I think what really, but what really I think lit things was um, in 2019, the other thing that happened was I was at the Haiti Heritage Film Festival and um, there was, they were uh, serving beer from Harlem Brewing, which is owned by Celeste Beatty, who is, is I guess, uh, kind of identified as the first black woman um, in America to, to own her own brewery. And, you know, they were pouring the beer and, you know, the person pouring said, hell, this is made by a black woman. I was like, oh, wow, that's what's up, you know. And then the Haiti the Festival is a black film festival and it's in Haiti, mm-hmm. which is a historic black community in Durham. And then the person was like, oh, and she's apprenticing a young woman in eastern North Carolina to make beer. And I was like, what? You know. And so that's when I, that was, that, that was kind of like the first key of like, oh, okay, there's, there's a there here <laughs> and there's a story here. That's when I started researching and found about Fresh Fest. So fast forward, I'm at Fresh Fest. I guess that would have been August of 2019 and I'm going around trying beer, stopped at one place and I looked down at the card and the person's uh, business card was, was in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. I'm like, you're in Rocky Mount. And uh, the person was like, yeah, and I'm from Durham. And so that was Brianna Brake, the CEO of Spaceway, who I'd heard about, you know, at this film. I'm like, you're the one, you're the one I've been hearing about. Um, the Apprentice. Yes. Um, who, who Celeste was, yeah, um, was, uh, was mentoring. And so um, that's, that was kind of what got the ball rolling. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, Bri and I connected when we both got back to North Carolina and I've spent, gosh, since then, t- time getting to know her. I've gotten to get get to know Celeste, um, and just dig into this history that a lot of folks don't know. I didn't know. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of folks don't know about the contributions of Black women um, to to the to the brewing industry in the U.S., both craft and macro. In in particular, how many connections there are to North Carolina, and I think that's really interesting because of the significance of of brewing in North Carolina, both macro and craft. 
um, and the fact that Black women have been a part of that history, but we've never we've never known that, you know, and why have we not known that? Yeah, well, you, I know there's probably, you could talk about it for an hour, but kind of talk about how craft began in Africa and what story you're telling um, about that if people aren't familiar. And obviously I know it could be a very long explanation, yeah. but you can sum well, it up as as much as you can. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think language is important. And, I, and so the reality is, is that beer has been with us from forever. I mean, when you think about it, it's very, what, it's yeast, water, grain, you know, some hops. And well, some what did, yeast didn't really officially come to later because they didn't know about it too. Well, yeah, I mean, it was there, but yeah. Right. And it was like, oh, well, that's what's happening in this whole, you know, kind of chemical process. But the whole, the whole art of, and uh, process of fermentation was part of what kept civilizations going. It's, you know, it's the same processes and, uh, well, not the same processes, but, you know, um, you know, we see similarity. If you've ever brewed beer, you know, for me, it's very reminiscent of making bread in terms of mm-hmm. just the smells and, you know, things like that. And obviously some of the chemical um, reactions, but, but, but fermentation and beer and the fact that beer has been with us um, as in, in human civilization for so long, I think is something worth paying attention to. And so part of how this project became more personal was discovering from my mother fairly recently that my grandmother was a brewer that my grandmother brewed uh, burukutu, which is the traditional fermented drink uh, in West Africa. It's made from what they call red guinea corn and what we call in the U.S. sorghum. Mm-hmm. So uh, gluten, a lot of gluten-free beers that are being made now are, are based off of sorghum because it's naturally gluten-free. And when you even just think about where sorghum grows in the U.S., um, you see the links, like a lot of Southern foodways, to the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Um, that was, yeah, that's, that's been a more recent discovery that I've been, you know, chatting with my mom about, but we see these, you know, lots of, um, lots of groups of people throughout history, whether it's, you know, Pito or Chicha or, you know, whether it's indigenous folks using corn, you know, any agrarian based society, um, has participated in this um, practice of fermentation and um, these fermented drinks and beverages and, and, you know, and beer also being, you know, an iteration of that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so what's up there? Yeah. So obviously you're, you know, you've talked about, you're kind of new to the beer scene, but film was your first love. How and and, and why did you fall in love with film? Because, hmm. you know, obviously this is a beer podcast, but I think what you're doing is so much more than just a, it's, it's obviously more than beer. Um, and I like to like, when I do these podcasts, I like to do more of a broader thing. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the first film you've worked on. So, so why film? What? That's a great question. Um, Thank well, you. documentary, <laughs> documentary has always been my favorite film genre. <laughs> um, and I think the, for me, the most impactful documentary in my young formation was Eyes on the Prize. And so that was a series that documented um, the arc of the civil rights movement in this, in the, uh, you know, the, the struggle for black liberation um, uh, rooted in the South. And so watching that as a young person, watching that in school, watching that at home on public television, reading the books about it, the background, um, is I think what stuck with me really young. And I think also growing up kind of in the advent of 
video and, you know, video, you know, music videos and, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of Spike Lee's uh, career trajectory as a, as a, as a filmmaker and particularly seeing black, you know, um, images and seeing, getting, seeing more, a wider spectrum of black representation in cinema was something that was really important. And I think, you know, fast forward, it's interesting to me in that I think personally, I believe that narrative is really powerful for actually, I think it's the most powerful force in the world. And my life has been this interesting kind of triangle of, you know, practicing law and um, now doing documentary and, um, and most recently working as a community organizer. And what I've come to understand is how central story has been to the entire arc of my kind of vocational journey so far, even going back to eyes on the prize one of the stories that's documented as part of that series is about Charles Hamilton Houston, who uh, was dean of Howard Law School and trained people like Polly Murray, Thurgood Marshall. He was sent to South Carolina with a camera to, to film, to make a documentary for the NAACP, uh, documenting the disparities between white schools and black schools in South Carolina. And that film, this was in the 50s, and the, that film was taken back to Howard Law School and used to train this is part of informing how these black attorneys were being trained to then go and dismantle the legal system of, of racial segregation. And so just seeing how um, the power of the visual image, the power of narrative, the power of story as it relates to cultural change is something that really resonates. And I think at an even more base level, I just love, I mean, I've always been a creative artist. My first medium was writing. And so this is, you know, another medium for me. But um, I just loved being able to like create and make things and have fun and do them with my friends. And so at a base level, and that's kind of what I still strive for. And still doing it now. This work is like, you know, that's, it's part, it's the project, but it's also about like how to support and build, you know, the pipe, the infrastructure of film here locally, um, which is not as built up as like, you know, New York or LA or even Atlanta um, and, um, and do, and make, make film that I'm really proud of with, you know, people that I really respect and, and tell the stories about communities that I'm connected to that hold me accountable, um, and, um, that have stories, uh, uh, to be, to be told. Um, so I just think that documentary is such a powerful medium. And when you, when you do it well, you make people feel things and you also learn things and it hopefully changes you. And so those are all things that I, um, I hold really dear about this particular, um, artistic medium. You mentioned earlier that you're kind of, you're, you're new to the, the beer scene and the beer industry. What, of what brought you in, in the first place? Is it living in North Carolina? How it, there's so many breweries there? I, think, I don't know that I would, yeah, I don't know this project would have like emerged for me in the way it did if I had not been back um, in North Carolina because I was not, you know, I was not a beer drinker, beer enthusiast. Like I, when we moved back to North Carolina, we, I did a beer tour in Asheville and I was just like, oh, can I just like, not pay to just tag along <laughs> because I was like, I'm not going to drink anything, but you know, that's when, you know, going, just going to mm-hmm. Asheville and going on a tour, 
you know, exposes you to all these different styles and things. And so, you know, I was actually able to triangulate on, on the actual style that I like. It wasn't that I don't drink beer. It's like, you know, I, I kind of triangulate on the style that I like. But um, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I think why this project is so focused on Black women in the South is because it's such a particular, it's the particular um, portal through which, you know, I've entered, you know, this space. And I do think considering how much, the craft of beer, particularly talking about craft beer, is tied to land and tied to agriculture and tied to the environment. I think one of the things um, I've come to appreciate about North Carolina, besides the fact that we have so many breweries, is how many breweries are trying to be intentional about, um, you know, sourcing locally, working with local farmers, um, whether that's around grains, whether that's around adjutants, whether that's around, you know, the research at state, they're, you know, growing hot, you know, trying to grow hops and things like that. So um, I love that, that arc of the story um, as well. And the, and the ways in which the story is uniquely Southern in, 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 in its telling. So you love film, you love beer, you decide that you're going <laughs> to, you decide you're going to, you're going to make this film. And, um, you've mentioned a lot, but I just want to make sure people are aware that this, it focuses on the state of North Carolina specifically, correct? On the, on the South. So right the now South. in well, because most of the black women brewers that I've been d- researching and following are all in North Carolina, it has been mm-hmm. by and large North Carolina. Yeah. So I, I took the, also took this information from your website, and I found it very interesting. So North Carolina breweries contribute over $9 billion annually to North Carolina's economy. North Carolina has about 300 breweries, but only two are Black-owned. That's... <laughs> yeah, and I think the Black... I believe the the, the population of African Americans in the state is like 24 25%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that... Reading that, it... I st- you know, I really had to stop and think about that because... That just, I mean, there's an issue, clearly. So you, you know, this is obviously just as an issue in the state of North Carolina. It's not just the South. It's the entire United States, you know. What, you know, what do you hope that this film, your film will do to raise awareness for this and also bring change? Thanks for asking that question. Um Well, I, as I mentioned before, I didn't realize like how much of an educational piece that would be a part of this film realizing as I talk more and more to people just about the project how they're just like oh my god I had no idea I didn't know particularly about like the the history and the legacy and the and the the ties that you know the, that black people have been a part of this um for way longer than um but I do hope that um there are folks who um might consider that this is a, you know, some aspect of brewing is something that they want to pursue. Um, I think a lot of, I don't know if you if you've seen the um, Netflix series high on the hog that came out last year. Um, it was a series that basically delved into a lot of, um, maybe these connections between a lot of American foodways and the contributions of African Americans and Africans. And, um, so I think it's important. Representation is really important. And that's a theme that's come up in the conversations that I've had with the brewers that I've been researching and getting to know. And so I think, um, if there are young people or just people in general who are kind of been thinking about this and just didn't know if they were the only ones who thought about this or didn't know if there's anyone that looked like them that did this, I hope that they, they can gain some, you know, sense of inspiration 
Um, I hope that there are there's significant and radical investment in uh, black owned and particularly black women owned uh, uh, breweries. Um, and, you know, whether that's the folks that are participating in, in the project or just just writ large. Um, and I, I think, you know, there are lots of one of the things that I find really fascinating about beer being part of this project is it's this this foil and this medium to explore all of these other issues because you know my argument I don't know if it's an argument but my my belief and I talked I talked a little bit about this in the um, interview that Bree and I did with um, Brian at Good Beer Hunting and I'll talk a little bit about it next month um, I'll be speaking at the Women International Beer Summit but um, you know I think that beer beer is one of the most political beverages in the world. Um, and I, I laugh. I'm going to laugh at that because I don't remember who I was talking to when we were complaining that people said, leave beer out of politics. And I'm like, beer is politics. Oh, it's, like, yeah. yeah. There's nothing unpolitical about beer. <laughs> oh, who was I having this conversation? I was literally screaming it might have been me about that. I don't know. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny you said that because I was I was having heated discussions, like screaming about like pol- beer is politics. Like, there's no way around it. Like, how do you think? Yeah, so yeah, and I think part I of it is like we we conflate like the word politics with partisan, and right. so as opposed to kind of the actual root word of politics, which is is of and about the affairs of the city. That's what what <laughs> political means. And so, like, I'll take. I just happen to have a, one of Bree's cans here. But like, um, and it's empty for those wondering. I'm not you know, <laughs> drinking German. But, but no, um, you see this, but it's got highlighters and pens in there. It is. It's it's actually a keepsake. So signed. So yeah, not everyone gets these. I have a signed um, so space so I can. But but you know, when you take any beer, you know, all the things that have to go into producing this product, whether it's you know, there's so many. I mean, so you talk about the beer itself. You're talking about water. You're talking about environmental issues. You're talking about, um, in some cases, zoning and planning in terms of where you get to put a brewery and how does the water get turned on and so that you could actually operate and function. Obviously, you're talking about labor issues with in terms of the employees and the staff and the folks that make the beer. You know, everyone's talking about aluminum prices, you know, going up, you know, with everything going on with um, the... Um, I was going to say, not the pipeline, what's it called? The supply chain. There you go. Um, uh, you know, there's import-export stuff. There's marketing, right? There's all these conversations that we're having about cultural, you know, misappropriation versus, you know, you know, uh, like, where's the line about, like, how you, who gets to use what type of imagery and what type of cultural references to market and sell beer, particularly if it's not one that's, you know... Um, kind of inherent to their own culture. So there's just, I mean, music, you know, there's just so much, so many ways that beer touches on all these aspects of society and history and anthropology and religion and philosophy and art and, you know, food and agriculture. And so um, that's one of the things that I find really, really interesting about this project and that, you know, one of both the joys and the the pains (laughs) is as we think about like how to, um, how to, you know, you know, in terms of like thinking long-term about like what the, the, how the, the product's going to live because they're all, all are all these paths that you can go on to explore, particularly when you start asking these questions about well, mm-hmm. where, what, what happened, where did things break down? How is it that, you know, um, 
the, you know, you can have a situation where you have a state that has such a significant, you know, African-American population and only two, you know, black burrs, like what's that about? So, um, so it's, 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 it's really, it's complex. And um, that's one of, that's one of the interesting parts about this project. What, you know, in your, you know, expertise and your very knowledgeable opinion, where do you think the breakdown was? Oh gosh, so many. I mean, I think what happened for it to be? The short answer is white supremacy and colonialism. Um, And I think, and I, and so what I think is important going back to this whole thing about beer being political is that we can't, I don't think we can pretend that if the context of our society includes um, a history or present of white supremacy, racialized capitalism, colonialism, we can't believe that beer is somehow immune to that. Like it was somehow protected from that, you know, that it's like, the before, yeah, like, it's just like, oh no, the, you know, the, the monks in Belgium just like kept it a secret and then somehow just got away, you know, it's like, no. And so, yeah. you know, as I've been digging, you know, doing kind of more archival research, you know, and coming across these headlines about, you know, black people who own taverns and own saloons and, you know, owned infrastructure that would sell beer that got taken from them, you know, mm-hmm. because of race riots, because of, um, you know, the rise of the Klan, because of um, white people who did not like seeing black people um, progressing and advancing, you know? So I think mm-hmm. about, wow, like what, what, what institutions, what taverns, what saloons would still, you know, be breweries and in some cases still be around if that hadn't happened. Um, I think that there's a lots of, um, you know, interesting cultural things like, uh, you know, we were both at the Pink Boots conference and, you know, hearing Celeste's talk about just how different the experience is for her as a black woman mm-hmm. navigating this industry versus even her white female um, colleagues was really, I think, impactful for everyone to hear, you know, the conversations, the, the ways in which you're engaging with the community and accountable to the community for what you do and how you do it. Um, you know, if you grew up in a more, let's say, um, religious, uh, conservative religious tradition, you might get messaging, right. Very, very early on that beer is not necessarily like a career you're going to see yourself. I mean, who's, who's high school counselor, you know, (laughs) told them, you know, pulled out the book, you know, careers or whatever, like, all right, yeah, you should be, (laughs) and that might be illegal. I don't know. Since the drinking age is 21 in the U S. Um, but you know, it's not, you know, unless you maybe grew up, maybe someone in your family did it, Mm -hmm. you grew up around it or grew up around people who did it or grew up in a community where it was, you know, right there, which is, you know, kind of one of the stories of one of the, one of the folks I've gotten to speak with. Um, it may not, you know, necessarily be on your radar. And so as something that you could be a part of, that's something that you could contribute, that you could actually make, that you could actually produce. Um, and so I think that um, there, you know, there are all, all of that is part of it. But, and I think examining it, examining these issues through the particular uh, intersectional experience of black uh, woman, female identity is something that, um, I really wanted to make sure to center this mm-hmm. project on because it is, it is, it is, it is unique from what white women brewers experience. And it's different from even what black male brewers mm-hmm. experience. I don't know about you. I told my guidance counselor in high school, I wanted to be a tapper manager and she, she knew right where to send are me. You serious? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to a very, 
not prestigious. That makes me sound like a total, (laughs) very elite. I went to an all girls Catholic school, so they did like to drink, but uh, definitely wasn't sending, (laughs) definitely wouldn't have told me to do that. No, I have my degree in journalism. Um, I got sidetracked. You made me laugh there. Um, so yeah, you mentioned, uh, that we met at Pink Boots Conference in Charlotte and you were doing a lot of filming. Obviously it's a great place to get some, some B-roll like Celeste talked. And then, um, I'm actually having Sarah Perez on next episode and they talked, they talked about lifting Lucy at the end. Um, so what other kind of, you know, obviously you don't want to spoil it, but what other things can people expect to see and hear in the film? So at, at this point, um, the idea for the film, which, you know, subject to change, but it's, it would, I would say it's going to, it would probably be about half verite. So kind of just seeing like the day-to-day kind of in the process, you know, lives and works and experiences of, of birth. And I think what's particularly interesting for me to document is also not just, and I think this is also something that's particularly characteristic of black cinema is that it's not just about the individual, but it's also about the community, right? So it's about, mm-hmm. you know, I think the work, of I think it's James Baldwin who maybe said this like the work of a writer is to understand like who the the people are that shaped a particular person or character and so um really understanding not just the brewers but like the community and the people and the context that um form them into you know who they are um particularly when you talk about you know an industry where you're coming from a group that's highly underrepresented like well how does someone like what what type of like stuff you have to be made out of to even like blaze that trail into to to go into the unknown and to pursue this thing where you don't really see a lot of people you know like you so that so those so that verite the interviews so really kind of hearing and understanding some of the experiences again that um um black women brewers have that 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 are different than experience than, than what other folks experience and then um archival which is has been really interesting because one there is, I think, you know, this conversation that is going on amongst <clears throat> documentarians about just the archive and the archive in general, like understanding that even what's archived is again impacted by our our country's legacy of systemic racism. So, like, what's kept, you know, what's archived, what's considered, you know, worthy of keeping, and who's represented mm-hmm. in that is 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 you know, something I'm thinking about when I look at photos, I'm thinking about, well, who took this and what was the context and, you know, things like that. Um, and, and I think, um, part of this project has actually been building the archive because a lot of even like articles, images, photos, things that I'm coming across, you know, I don't necessarily see in in a lot of kind of, I would say like mass, you know, kind of either macro or craft beer advertising. So, um, so yeah, so that is what folks at this point can can expect, kind of that interweaving of the stories of these brewers um, through those different mediums in terms of, you know, verite, archival, and um, interviews. And then also talking to some experts to help tease out like these larger kind of um, thematic questions about, you know, gender, about race, about, you know, representation, advertising, marketing, religion um, that are, are part of these conversations I have a question about the, you know, going through archives and that part of the research um, in the film. Where do you even start to find <laughs> stuff like that? <laughs> That's a good question. Because, 
you know, I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, I would not know where to start. I'd be going on like the library. I know they have like digital archives and you yes, can search. Yes, oh, okay. Yes, okay. yes, that's where you go. Do you need uh you need uh, someone to carry the boom mic? Your, ta- <laughs> your taxpayer dollars at work, yes. Um, I have done that before. I love like old, like looking through like old newspaper clippings about something that I'm interested in. Absolutely. I mean, one, it starts for me, I'm, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on the, the, the folks who are participating. So in, in the case, you know, they're, in some cases, I'm finding news articles, magazine articles, things like that. Um, but yeah, you're right. The library, whether it's our state archives, um, our university archives, our, um, there's different, you know, museums. So the Schomburg, for instance, is a very famous black um, archive um, that's connected to the New York Library up in New York that focuses on black cultural cu- culture. Um, then there, are, you know, black newspapers. There are um, one of the interesting. So I've had I had the pleasure of being on a panel with um, Teresa McCullough, who's at the Smithsonian's um, Beer History Project. So she's a great person to know. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, I have so much love for librarians. You have no idea. Um, And we do, we have beer, you know, out Oregon State as well. Um, uh, Tia's work there, um, the folks at UNCG with Well Crafted NC. I just learned about another um, beer museum that's based in Asheville. I'm talking to those folks. Um, So I would say like the relationships that... Mm um, I've been able to just build and develop um, as I've been working on the project. I'm reading a lot. I have a very large stack of <laughs> books all over the place. Um, and um, uh, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, and then the other thing that I was actually just talking to Teresa about this last week was about how some of you know these breweries have their own archives. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And so some of them have archives. I was actually out um, last year when I heard of So Weeping Radish, which is kind of known as the oldest um, microbrewery in North Carolina, closed um, under its current ownership at the end of um, 2021. So when I saw that it was closing, I was like, I got to get out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even there, there, it's like a li- it's like a living archive. I mean, that brewery is an archive. And I was like, I hope they have a good person to archive all the stuff because they have all these articles and publications you know, from, I mean, they've, you know, they've seen kind of the entire growth of, you know, Mm -hmm. micro and craft beer in North Carolina. And thankfully, um, so many of the folks that I've been researching, the brewers, they're still with us. And Mm -hmm. so they are the most, you know, um, you know, they're, I mean, being the fact that they're still with us is, is a gift. Um, but, um, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. And I don't know if you saw the story. Actually, Teresa worked on the story for Good Beer Hunting about Patsy. She was doing some research and found out about um, a formerly enslaved um, person who was a brewer and from North Carolina, Franklin County, and found it through um, a runaway slave ad that um, her um, enslaver had put, um, put out in, I believe, the News and Observer, whatever the News and Observer was called. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I saw that on their on their website or yeah. social media. So the fact, yeah. So and that's again an example of like, like it like that that was there, but it's now it's like building that archive now. Of like, oh wait, there's like this very specific story that right. speaks back and and verifies, and that's why I appreciate. I think Kimber she said it on stage or when it was just in, like in a conversation, but when Celeste was kind of pushing back on this idea of like, well, I'm not really the first because right there, you know it's like that we know of right like there were because of the fact exactly. that we know that you know our grandmothers and our aunties and black women were brewing and doing this work 
but didn't necessarily have the freedom um, in their lives to be able to, you know, open up a brewery or operate a brewery. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, but yeah, lots of, but yeah, library is always a great place to start. <laughs> is it most of it digital or do you still have a lot of like physical, like, you know, archives to go through? Um, yeah, it's both. Um, and it, and it was really interesting. So during the pandemic, a lot of, that was one of the challenges that a lot of libraries and archives were not accessible. And so now, and places are still like kind of getting back yeah. up and open. Um, so there was limitations of, of stuff. I mean, you could still, you know, still do a good bit online, but it did have its limitations because there's some stuff that just hasn't been digitized yet. So it, it also makes me <laughs> deeply appreciative for, um, you know, libraries and archives that have, you know, have, have the funding and the staff right. support, but yeah, but I've, I've, I've had both where I've, you know, been looking online and then when I'm in an archive and put on the white gloves and have the lights and stuff and looking through, you know, film and things like that. So that's awesome. That's that's the stuff that makes me like (laughs) super nerdy and like want to talk more about, but this will not be an archive podcast. (laughs) You know, if you, you know, you're a couple years into this film, is that correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. What has been, and you know, you can, I don't know if you want to spoil it, but what's been the favorite thing that you've discovered or come across or learned through your research? That's a good question. Um, so what I've been thinking about, so I was listening to this, um, I was listening to this interview with um, Questlove, who's a drummer from The Roots, and he um, directed a documentary uh, last year called Summer of Soul that was a documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival, which was this huge multi-day music festival that happened in Harlem that um, was not as well kind of known about because it happened, I think, like a week right before Woodstock. So it was like all of the attention and all of like the documentation and stuff was like focused. And even some of the same acts that, that performed at this Harlem Cultural Festival performed at Woodstock, but it was like, you know, based off of just kind of what was going on in the world and that like, no, it was, it was this, this, this event that like a lot of people didn't know about. And so anyway, he ended up, you know, getting, um, in possession of this, this film from the event and turned into this documentary. And he was saying how, you know, when he heard about it, he felt like the boy who cried wolf and that he was like talking like, Hey, have you heard of this thing? People were like, no, I've never heard of this. You know, wait, no. Like, did this really, you know, he was like, did this really happen? I don't know. Like, is this a real thing? Like, maybe this is just not, you know, and then come to find out, no, it's a real thing. And I think I've, I could still relate to that. And that when I started kind of venturing out into the project, it was like, am I crazy? Is this a thing? Are there really black women brewers? Are we, you know, like, it was like, is this like, you know, and then like every time you find a piece of something like a photo or an article or like the piece mm-hmm. that Teresa did, you're like, no, we're not crazy. We have been doing this. We have been brewing. We, this has been a part of, of us. You look at the green book, you know, and, and see, you know, in the places that where black people identified were safe for them, you know, to, you know, to, you know, safe places to stay at hotels, things like that. You see the advertisements that say, you know, for clubs, restaurants and, and advertise like how great their beer was or, oh, it has great cold beer, you know? So there, you know, I found, you know, when I first started working on the project, there was this constant refrain and you still hear it from time to time, like, oh, well, black people don't drink craft beer and we just need to get, you know, black people in these, you know, breweries and teach them. And it was like this very like kind of condescending, patronizing 
I think, attitude towards, um, you know, particularly black consumers as it relates to craft beer. And it's at, and I'm at the point where, A, that's kind of hella racist. Um, and B, it's just not true. You yeah. know, like black men might not be drinking your beer, but they're probably drinking somebody's beer if they, you know, if they choose to imbibe. And so um, I think that's my favorite part is like that growing of the archive and just that um, seeing like even how like the current, even current modern like brewing styles or traditions still have these connections. Like I just ordered a bunch of beer from um, the Meredret Abbey in uh, Belgium. And, you know, there's black nuns, you know, they're making this beer. It's delicious, actually. Very cool. Um, And so it's just, um, yeah, like I just love, um, yeah, just kind of making those those connections and seeing how even, you know, even in light of everything that gets lost, through the violence of colonialism, because I think part of the violence of colonialism and white supremacy is it not only separates you from other people, it separates you from yourself. And so just seeing people being able to like see reflected back, like, Oh wow. Like this is a part of, you know, an inherent, you know, this very American, you know, this, this beverage that's viewed as like American Americana thing is also very African and very black. Um, and, and so I, I love that. I love just how we're able to, um, to tell a, a, a truer truth and, uh, a more, um, I'm thinking about like, you know, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talks about the danger of the single story. And so I'm, I'm glad that we're able to tell a story. That's just not a singular flat story of, of beer and beer in America anymore. You said one word earlier, you said representation, and um, I even think you said representation matters, and it does. And I think films and projects like this are what, you know, the beer industry needs. They need to see these things because, yes, the Black is Beautiful collab was great. Yes, you know, this, you know, the the Brewers Associates having their diversity thing with Dr. J is great, but we need to keep pushing. And I know I say we as a white female, but somebody who had like, who also, you know, is a minority and is also very passionate about things. We need to keep pushing. And I, I do want to say, this is me saying, thank you. I think what you're doing is incredible and I absolutely cannot wait to see it. Oh, and <laughs> thanks. You're welcome. So I, I'm incredibly, like I said, I'm incredibly excited to see it. I'm thankful for your work and what you're doing for, for women. And obviously, you know, black women in this beer industry, because I get so incredibly angry and it's like an irrational anger. Like when I'm scrolling through Instagram and they post pictures of their, their, their production staff and it's just all white dudes. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I, I, I mean, why is this still the case? Like, yeah. you know, you, you you brewed your black is beautiful beer you say diversity matters but i'm looking at your staff i'm looking at your social media it's you're representing to still a very white audience and Mm -hmm. so thank you yeah and i appreciate it and i think you know continuing to push these you know i don't want to say narratives but these you know whatever you want to call them is so important and so thank you i appreciate it 
Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, Because um, I do think, I, I do think if I, when I have a chance to talk to white brewers, I mean, I think, no, I think when I talk to white brewers, one of the things I kind of think about and talk about is like this whole question of intention and like, what did you imagine? Like, what did you imagine, right? When you were decided to, you know, go into this business or build this brewery or open this brewery, like who did you see as your customer? Who did you see working there? Like, what was your, what, what was the vision? What did you imagine? Because often what people have is not by accident. And so, you know, when people talk about all oh, the challenges of, you know, um, of, you know, finding folks and hiring, um, I think, um, one has to do with, well, you know, like, what is your intention? And then two, I think is understanding that. So one of the things I was talking to someone about this recently that, you know, people can beat up on macro breweries for lots of different reasons. But I will say one of the things that macros have done effectively um, that I think craft breweries could pay attention to is um, understanding the market, um, you know, the ra- the racial demographics of the beer market, mm-hmm. using black people in advertising and advertising in media outlets that are consumed by said target audience. Yes. And so I think sometimes people think, oh, I just opened up my brewery, you know, next to the black neighborhood. And then all these black people are just going to start coming over. And it's like, you have to put like, what business functions like that? Like what, like, you know, like you have to, and I understand like the marketing budget of a Miller's and a Anheuser-Busch versus, you know, craft brewery are like worlds apart. I get that. However, I think it's just more of the the encouragement and the admonition of craft brewers who, who, who do want to see, their staff or their tap rooms, et cetera, look different, like understanding that that means you might have to also think differently about like even where you recruit from, who you, you know, what's the social networks you're tapped into mm-hmm. that, you know, are bringing people in, um, you know, where you're spending time speaking and connecting to folks so that folks know that this is a place that's welcoming or that they might have, you know, a chance to, you know, see and try this thing out. So, um, yeah, so I'm 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 glad for the 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 possibility of of um of of what conversations um or what new conversations could be had. That was incredibly well said, and I'm not gonna say anything more about that because I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> um, so you know, what stage are you right now in the film process? So Is there a release date or. <laughs> Are you hoping for one? I am. Well, I'm still in what I would say actually early, early production. Um, so last that last year, we did a crowdfunding campaign um, to raise money for the research and development phase of the film. Um, but we still have the whole production phase and then what's called post-production. So generally what happens is, you know, you do research and development, figuring out if you have an idea, story, you've got early production, which is kind of where I am pre-production where I'm getting, putting together a crew, figuring out shooting schedules and things. Although I've been, I've been shooting, um, a good bit for the last few years. Um, and so when you're fully in production and then post-production when you're editing and, you know, kind of, you know, getting ready to release the film and, and all of that, it costs money. So, um, even though we, the crowdfunding campaign we did, um, in the spring came and went, um, our, this project is actually fiscally sponsored by the Southern Documentary Fund. Um, it also, our, this project received a um, production grant from them as well as a research and development grant. They were actually my first, my first grant was from the Southern Documentary Fund. Um, and so if folks are interested in supporting the project, um, you can go to the Southern Documentary Fund 
um, I believe it's like the Southern Documentary Fund. <laughs> SouthernDocumentaryFund.org slash this hyphen belongs hyphen to hyphen us. And you can um, donate to support the film. It's a tax, tax deductible donation um, through SDF. Um, and um, also if you go to the website, www.thisbunksus.com um, and sign up for our email list. I send updates about like quarterly or so, just letting people know where things are in terms of production. Um, you know, we'll send like behind the scenes, you know, kind of shots and kind of commentary and things like that. Um, but um, we're lo- the timeline at this point would look like um, a release at the end of 2023, but there's um, a few few production um dates that we're still figuring out for this year that will yeah impact that so is it only going to be released in north carolina or is there going to be a way for people like me here in kentucky and the rest is to like pay to like buy a link for it or something yeah the plan for distribution um would be so and again this is like this new, this new place we're in like post pandemic. So generally what usually happens with films is um, they definitely kind of particularly for documentaries is they work kind of what's called the festival circuit. So often you can mm-hmm. see that film festivals, but now it's streaming. Um, and particularly with, with the pandemic having shut down so many festivals, it's kind of like this hybrid. So my intention would be, um, you know, a release, um, or, you know, a premiere that happens in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while it's, you know, doing its thing in, you know, kind of, um, the the festival world um uh having a way for folks yeah to be able to view it whether it's at a festival near them or online so before i said online i almost said can i buy a dvd of it yeah i'm all about dvds and it's so funny though because a lot of distributors they like poo poo dvds i'm like some people are still like about the dvd life so i honestly don't know where I would watch it though. My computer doesn't have it. I so, have a, but I'd yeah, buy a DVD to support you. I'd send it to like, <laughs> I don't know. There are probably some in older generations that might still have DVD players. You should make a VHS, all it, Blu ray, whatever. <laughs> Blu ray. <laughs> all the, all oh the streaming services. But yeah, no, definitely. No, I, lo- I love a good, love a good DVD. So, a little director's so, commentary. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> bloopers all that um deleted scenes yes put it all in there <laughs> so yeah you can follow the project on twitter and instagram um facebook too i can't yeah. remember yeah all the social media yeah. mm-hmm. check the website out this belongs to us.com um like i mentioned uh earlier i end every podcast with some fun rapid fire two questions um so we'll go ahead and get started and I'll get you out of here for the, to enjoy the rest of your Monday and get back to, to editing. You said you were doing that for you. Uh, do you prefer a six pack of 12 ounce cans or a four pack of 16 ounce cans? Four of 16. If you're drinking straight from it, a bottle or a can? Mm, bottle. New England or West Coast IPA? West Coast. Ooh, even a Boston native or someone who lived in Boston and <laughs> Maryland. Uh, Gosa or Berliner Weiss? Gosa. Uh, seltzer or cider? Cider. Brewery cats or brewery dogs? Dogs. Brewery dogs. Uh. Uh, favorite beer city that you've visited? You've been to already? Mm. 
favorite beer city that I've been to. Or a city that you just really enjoyed the beer scene. I'm going to go with uh, Santa Fe. Okay. Never heard of that as a beer city. <laughs> Took me a minute to like, wait, did someone say that in here? No, no. <laughs> I've never done Arizona, New Mexico. Those are two yeah. very yeah. bucket list. Yeah, Santa Fe, yeah, Santa Fe, I guess, slash Albuquerque. And um yeah, so bow and arrow, woman owned yep. indigenous yep. owned brewery up there. Heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Um favorite hop variety. This one's kind of beer nerdy, but I'm well. I'm just gonna go with Citra because it's the first one top of mind. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite. Um, I feel like there's that whatever there's one of the. I feel like whatever the Pink Boots blend this year was, there was like a hop variety from that farm in Idaho that they're sourcing from that sounded uh, really good, and I cannot remember. I don't know. If it's, no, it wasn't Cyclone. Anyway, we'll st- stick with Citra because it's top of mind. Citra works. <laughs> and then what's your what's your go to beer right now? What's a beer you're really crushing? Well, that I think it's I would say the the marriage. I'm probably butchering because I don't speak French or Belgian, but marriage the marriage 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 Um, uh, it's um an abbey in um Belgium and where the nuns brew. And um, so I, something came up. I think on my Twitter something a story they did about black nuns brewing. I was like, oh, that's my jam. And um, so ordered two beers and they're just they're just delicious and very cool. I'm gonna so look good. that up. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier, but I'm glad you yeah. brought that back up. Really delicious. All right, final two questions. Are ready? If you could go on any beer vacation right now, where would it be? <sighs> she has her head down. She's thinking very hard. Or is she frozen? <laughs> oh no! I thought. Oh my god! I thought you were frozen. <laughs> I'm gonna say South Africa because then I could kind of get Ooh. like Rwanda and some of the other yeah breweries. Yeah. There's a female brewery open up in yeah. Rwanda. Yeah, yeah Jesse over there. She's great. Been following her stuff. She uses sorghum in a lot of their beers as well. Mm-hmm. And then last question. This one's always tough for everyone. Who would you most love to have a beer with? Do they have dead, dead or alive? Or <laughs> that's that's so funny. Everybody asks that. We'll do one dead, one alive. We'll like make it beer with. Well, spice it up. in terms of dead, my my maternal grandmother, who I never met, um, mm-hmm. she died when my mom was fourteen, and so um, the fact that she was a brewer, um, I think she's definitely been guiding this project. So we'd love to have a beer with her, and then um, alive. Mm-hmm. Let's go film. I don't know if Ava drinks beer, but Ava DuVernay, if you drink beer. Okay, you're going to tell me who that is. Oh, Ava DuVernay, famous film director, extraordinaire TV director, um, directed, uh, gosh. Going to the Google machine. Yes. (laughs) Um, But yes. Okay, she did When They See Us. Things. 13th. Yep, Selma. Uh, Selma, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen When They See Us. I think I've seen Selma. She has a lot of shows on. The Wrinkle in Time. That's oh. Isn't that Oprah's? Yep. Mm-hmm. And she, Disney Plus thing. And she does a lot of shows on, um, yeah, on Oprah's. Um, on Oprah's Very uh, cool. Network. I think everyone drinks beer. That's not the case, but <laughs> I just tell myself. So that's a great answer. I That's very cool. I like different answers because 
I mean, obviously with you, your film background, but we get a lot of repeat people. So I really? love learning a lot of repeat politicians. A lot of Obamas. Shows, a lot of Obamas. <laughs> Bernie's oh, been on. Stacey Abrams has been on or been named AOC. Um, again, beer's politics. It brings it all back. <laughs> these these beer people are wanting to have drinks with politics. Oh, but Ava, how do you say her last name? Duvernay. Du- Duvernay? Yep, Ava Duvernay. Yeah, A-V-A-D-U-V-E-R-N-A-Y for people who want to look that up as well. Well, Tinu, Diver, I'm going to get that right. Even though you told me, I still want to say. I know. I still want to say it. So I I, um, I thank you so much for for joining me. And I can't sing your praises enough for what you're doing. And I am incredibly excited to obviously follow your journey and then eventually see the film. I'm sure it will inspire a lot of people and change a lot of people's minds so um i hope so i hope so thank <laughs> you for having me i think i think it will no oh, thanks for having me it's been great being in, in conversation with you